And the fact that, you know, Hay Red, from a historical perspective, has its uh, roots in the Confederacy. And uh, certainly when we talk about the Confederacy, that has its roots uh, in the history of enslaved people. You know, some you're going to feel some kind of way. Hope everyone's staying safe. I'm Stephanie, and today with me is Will. We're both students here at UNLV. We're also IHS peer mentors. So if you need any help, you need to talk to someone, we're here. And we're also editors of this podcast. So, hey, Will. Hey, Stephanie. I'm doing great. You know, I'm really excited about this episode. We have an awesome guest coming up, but mainly it's our first time hosting this show. Um, for those of you that's been listening with us from day one, you're probably wondering where Rachel is. So Rachel right now is focusing on her studies. She's got summer school. In the meantime, you have us, which isn't too bad. Yeah, we're pretty good, I guess. <laughs> so today with us is our special guest, Dr. Harriet Barlow. Dr. Barlow is originally from Robbins, Illinois, where she studied at the University of Southern Illinois at Carbondale. She earned her bachelor's in secondary education, master's in guidance education, PhD in education, where her main focus was academic administration. Today, she's been with UNLV for over 20 plus years and is a current executive director of the intersection, which we will talk a lot about with and how it relates to the most current topics like COVID and social justice. So without further ado, we welcome Dr. Barlow to our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm always very, very happy to, to have a chance to talk with students and certainly have a chance to talk about the intersection. So I'm excited about this morning. So thank you so much for having me here. So how are you today? I'm doing well. I, I, I'm doing well. You know, trying to stay out of the heat. That's another thing that we, you know, <laughs> have to look forward to, to being in Las Vegas and um, trying to stay active, right, you know, among everything. So I've been doing a, well, I don't want to say exercise regimen because I would think that people would get the really along, the wrong idea about what it is that I'm doing. But I do try to, to, to get up every morning and, and walk my dog. Uh, he is really enjoying it. So I'm feeling pretty good about being able to at least get a mile in. That that That's my... Uh, that's been my goal for the last several weeks is to at least get a mile in. So I'm feeling good, feeling good and very, yeah. very good to be here. So I'm happy you're here with us today. And we were wondering if you could start off like a little bit about yourself, like tell us about yourself and how you got okay. to UNLV. Sure. So as Will said, I am from a small suburb outside of Chicago. The name of that suburb is Robbins, Illinois. Um, it's a very small suburb, uh, about 10,000 people, probably even less than that. It was um, founded uh, in the early 1900s, and it has always been an, uh, practically an exclusively uh, Black community uh, founded uh, during the, the Great Migration from the South. And so uh, it's a community that anybody that you know that, that, that you might run across that, that is from Robbins, right? Is, is very proud of, of, of our little community. 
Um, it was a community, as I was saying in a speech I did a few uh, a, a few months ago, that it was a community where you know the 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 mayors. Uh, the mayor was an African-American. The trustees were African-American. Uh, police were African-American um, and uh, still very, very much a tight -lit, knit community, regardless of social status, because there was always there was also doctors and lawyers and, um, you know, day workers in that community. So uh, it was it was fun um, uh, growing up there. I uh, spent uh, obviously my my formative years in 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 Robbins, where I always like to say that Dwayne Wade is from Robbins, regardless of when people say he's from Chicago. He is not <laughs> from Chicago. He is from Robbins. Um, the original uh, uh, Lieutenant Yahura in the very old Star Trek series. I'm sure you all don't know anything about those. It all is, was also from Robbins, as well as a more contemporary of you all's might be uh, Kiki Palmer who is also uh, from, from uh, that little hometown, Robbins. Anyway, I grew up feeling as if um, I always wanted to be a teacher and ended up therefore at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. That is where my dad went to school. He was fortunate to be actually the first person in our family uh, to, to go away to school. So uh, while I'm not a first generation, I am a second generation college student or college graduate, but uh, a second generation college graduate from Southern Illinois University uh, at Carbondale. I spent several years there, received all three of my degrees, and then uh, actually worked at uh, SIU for a number of years, close to 20 years before coming to UNLV and got here at UNLV in 1997. Uh, uh, in the graduate college, but throughout my uh, career, my professional career, I've always been very blessed to, to be able to work with students or to have a connection with students. And so uh, I've done a lot of different kinds of things while I was at SIU. I worked in the graduate college there for a while, um, spearheading a new uh, statewide um, uh, scholarship program for doctoral candidates. Uh, then I moved on to, to working in what we call student development, which is very similar to uh, SIA here at UNLV, where I spent about nine years um, uh, at being over the SIU Greek system, uh, student organizations and things of that nature. And then I said, like I said, found myself here at UNLV for uh, another great opportunity starting off in the graduate college. I uh, also spent some time as assistant vice president of um, the Office of Diversity Initiative. And then uh, in, I believe it was 2016, got offered the opportunity of a lifetime to, to, to develop what we now know as the intersection. Wow, that is awesome. Uh, what a backstory. Now, we are glad to have you here at UNLV. And you are the director of the intersection, as you said. Yes. Um, what we'd like to ask for you from you is would you mind you know we prepped last week about the backstory of the intersection would yeah. you mind telling us about that whole you know the whole story how it came about and sure yeah sure well as i said uh in um 20, 2015 late 2015 i was asked by the uh senior vice provost uh dr uh, carl Ryber, who is now at uh, in georgia i believe 
but I was asked to, I was asked by him to explore uh, what an academic multicultural resource center at UNLV might look like. And I think I told you last week that I didn't know what that was. It was right. like, I, I have no clue what, what that is or what that could be, but certainly sounded exciting and that I was willing to see what, you know, what that, that exploration led to. So beginning in, in, in late 2015, was it 20? Yeah. And in, in late 2015, um, we started uh, just talking with students uh, to find out what students might want from this kind of a space. Okay. Right. Uh, and uh, also, I think I told you too, I went to visit uh, some a couple of HBCUs. And the reason why I went to visit HBCUs or historically black uh, colleges and universities was because I realized that UNLV was not a predominantly white institution. UNLVs, the majority of our students at UNLV are students of color. And so those institutions that had multicultural centers uh, are, are institutions uh, that are predominantly white. And so therefore their lens is different than what I felt like that UNLVs was, right? right. So I uh, wanted to get a perspective from them in terms of what kinds of programs and activities they had for their students when their students were predominantly students of color and in that case is predominantly black. So in that, and as I said, talking with students, I talked with you know several hundred students, talked with faculty and staff, uh, also talked with community people. What became very clear was that what was being asked of us or what was being asked for was some type of a space or, or a resource that would help students navigate the university. That, you know, the university is like any other institution full of bureaucracy, you know, a lot of different steps to get from A to B or from A to Z, you know, whatever. And and not knowing or not having those connections to be able to do that can be, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty harsh and pretty hard. So students were saying that they wanted this kind of a place to, to serve as this navigation and as a resource and that while uh, ethnicity and race would be important. It would not necessarily be the cornerstone of what we did. Okay. We would celebrate race. We would celebrate differences, you know, race, uh, sexual orientation. Okay. But that that wouldn't be the basis on which we would operate. But recognizing that the majority, in addition to the fact that the majority of our students would be our students of color, that a significant number of our students are also first generation, which is a whole other facet of life. And so, you know, we started planning the intersection based upon what students and faculty and staff were, were telling us. And, and it, what was interesting is, is that if I talked to students or if I talked to faculty, everybody was saying the same thing. We were all on the same page. And so it made it pretty exciting to develop this new space, right? Uh, serving as a connector, if you will, as a hub to assist students to, to uh, with resources, with navigation of the university, and then obviously also being a place where folks could feel comfortable just coming in and, and hanging out, you know, and, you know, being a family and developing a sense of belonging. So we were lucky. Uh, we had campus-wide, um, you know, enthusiasm about the space uh, in um, May of 2016. 
actually was able to, uh, you know, start some things with uh, having like a town hall to discuss things more. And then by April of 2017, right, we actually opened the doors because, uh, you know, we had to get this, get a space to be and that kind of thing. And so in April of 2017, we actually opened the doors uh, of the intersection for business in the student union room 121. <laughs> um, with that backstory, we found it like really interesting how it was made for the students, like aiding them. So we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the services the intersection provides, like the tips peer mentors and how sure. we can use them. Sure. Well, a lot of the things that we do is, is almost individualized, right? Because we never know on any given day what a student may come in and, and need or have a question about or want more information on. Okay. And so I don't want to say that we do a lot of stuff on the fly because that just sounds like it's all a haphazard, but it, it, it it's not. What it is is that we're open. We're open for anything that a student may come in because that helps us learn more and more about what students are experiencing and the kinds of things that, that we need to focus our attention on. So very, very early on, one of the things that, that we, we learned, we cannot approach UNLV students as, as typical college students because, you know, our students, while our students are typical for UNLV, they are not typical in terms of other institutions. We worked with a, a sociology class that was called Slices at the time. And that was a service learning component of, of that class that we actually became the clients of students uh, to, to, to help us determine which direction that we should go. And with that, you talked about the TIPS program. This particular program was drawn out of that particular class. And once again, uh, the focus of that class was to actually deploy a group of students who would be an extension of the intersection to help students navigate, right? Um, it's a peer mentoring group. We bring the students together, um, you know, or and or it's individual, but it is once again providing students with an additional point of contact with the university to help them move forward. So we're really excited about that particular program. Um, we're really excited about where it's going now because we were able to uh, have a conversation with Eli, who kind of oversees the university mentoring program uh, in general and get hooked in to that. And so I'm really, really excited. And um, even from that one conversation that that I that we had with him a, a couple, two or three weeks ago, um, we found a lot of outreach and a lot of uh, people asking us, you know, and I think that one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons for us being here today about what it is that we do. And I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to the future partnerships that we will have with other mentoring programs uh, in, in, at UNLV, because I think that they're all needed and that, that there's a place for all of us, right? We, we, we yeah. may do some of the similar, similar things, but we also can do different things. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, definitely. I just spoke to Eli just prior to uh, our meeting here. So yeah, he's a super cool guy. Yeah, um, he is. <laughs> right. And so what 
what I'm curious about is how did your program, the intersection, adjusted like during in the middle of the semester, right, when the COVID thing happened? And how was it for you personally, by the way? And, you know, was it a struggle to, to cope with the new changes at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that that, yes, it, it was a struggle. Right. You know, because we had some really good and exciting things that were planned for this past semester. You know, it, it, it jumped off a really cool and, and really great. Like one of the things that, that we were doing was really beginning to focus in on our first generation initiative. That started off with a breakfast for faculty, staff, and students who were all first generation back in uh, January or February, I think it was. And so we had a lot of different things that we had planned. And then when COVID hit, it was like, okay, now what? Yeah, it, it was difficult to, to try to regroup in, in what we would have considered a short amount of time, right? And particularly since it was March, okay? when all of that happened and what we know, you know, you've got, you know, spring break hitting, which that hit. And then all of the things that students tend to go through toward the back end of the semester. And so how do you, you remain connected with students, know that you were still around. Okay. And, and that, and so that, that was a real leap for us, you know, in general, but then on individual basis, trying to figure out how we were able to even cope with it, you know, how, you know what was going through our own individual minds at that point. Now, and what happened is, which was really great, is that we found out very quickly that we weren't operating in, a, in silos, right? That there were other areas that were also having some of the same issues and concerns, right? And questions, because at that time, of course, I don't know if it's did any different, but at that time, the virus was changing every day. I mean, you know, yeah. what you heard today, you know, didn't mean that that was going to be the case the next day. So there was so much that was happening uh, just with the virus and then the delivery of, of programs and services and then with uh, academics and all those things that students were experiencing. And so a number of us in different kinds of pockets, right, we were we were talking to each other. And as a result of that, um, I think that some things happened uh, virtually uh, for for us. Um, and, and then we were able to also plan some things for future. Um, we realized very early on that the mental health of students was extremely important during this time because this was all so new for everybody, right? And Absolutely. that with, and, and that with students, um, you know, all of a sudden having to flip from in-person to, uh, to virtual and remote, what, what was that doing? Not being able to, to do anything because of being, you know, constrained from going out, okay, uh, and and then also still having to have all of, all of the other responsibilities that you had before COVID started. So how do you how do you navigate that? And you know, feeling like, hey, I'm the only one that's feeling like this. Everybody else is doing well, but you find out that you're not. So what we what we started doing was to try to focus in on that and being having spaces whether it was on Instagram or, you know, Google Place or whatever, where students would be able to just come in and debrief and get tips on how to, to navigate all of this. We also tried to make sure that we were giving students all of the, the, the latest and the most up-to-date information that we could about what decisions were being made on campus as it related to 
their academics, you know, like the SU grades, right? You know, the yeah. information about financial aid and all of those kinds of things, right? And so we still continue to do that. But one of the offshoots of that um, that happened is there were some folks in, in CAPS, right, were, who were discussing these same kinds of things that we were discussing in the intersection. And we just had a meeting one day. You know, it's like, okay, you know, what can we do? And as a result of that, uh, of that conversation, we've been meeting for the past several weeks and developed a, a program that includes CAPS, the intersection, housing, and student diversity and social justice on a mental health type or mental health foundation series. And that series is called the I Intersecting Connections, which I'm really excited about. Yes. That's going to come out in, in in the in in the fall, you know, really full full force. But uh, it's it's really good, and it's it's something that we've been looking at, trying to make sure that everybody is is on a good mental health, you know, thing, if you will. Yes, so. yeah, we're we're definitely excited about that new program, uh, intersecting connections. It's it's very vital, you know, this mental health issue. It's yes, it's more important than most people think. Yes, but uh, kind of, yeah, kind of going back to, to your program here now during the pandemic, I noticed during our research, we had you guys have this intersection emergency funding to students uh, during like emergencies. Yeah. Um, how did that work? Like, um, were, okay. were you guys able to provide those type of uh, help to students? Yes, we were able to provide some monies to students who were experiencing, um, you know, hardship right during this during this 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 time um that money uh, actually is made possible through uh, monies awarded uh by csun and actually the intersecting i mean the intersection cares fund is actually a csun fund that they they gave us um a couple of years ago, they gave us uh, $15,000 uh, specifically for emergency purposes for students. Uh, we were able to, um, they allowed us to kind of split the money. It wasn't split 50-50, but they allowed us to use some of that money that, that they provided to us for things like, you know, food, bottom line, you know, for students who, who uh, are experiencing uh, food insecurities and other kinds of emergencies in that way. However, the bulk of the funds have been used for students who are, have been experiencing um, an emer a financial emergency that um, may prohibit them from being able to, able to go or to continue their, their education. And uh, so, um, you know, we don't have quite as much money as we had before when we first got the grant or first got the money. But uh, luckily, uh, CSUN did say uh, to me very recently that they were getting ready to put some additional funding in, into that uh, role, as well as we received money from student affairs also. And then um, they expect for it to be a recurring budgeted item rather than something that has to be asked for. But it certainly did come in handy. I didn't wasn't able to give students as much money as I would have liked to have given um, during this COVID uh, standpoint, right? Um, but we were able to uh, provide monies to to some students before we had to close it off in anticipation of what would might be needed in the fall. So with that emergency funding, 
Um, I was wondering, like, with the other services you provide, I saw that you guys give food to students as well. Um, could you list other services that the intersection has, please? Well, a lot of times what we find ourselves doing is being an advocate for students, right? Uh, and I go back to this navigation of, of, of the academic process. Students will find themselves in a situation, let's say, with an instructor or something where they don't know how to navigate. Maybe it's a grade, okay? Maybe it's being able to, to hand in an assignment uh, or being absent or something of that nature. So what we will do is help that student navigate that situation. Sometimes we will actually intervene on behalf of the student. A lot of the things also that we that we also do or find ourselves in is from a financial standpoint and advocating for a, a student to see whether or not there's additional funding that uh, he or she may not have been aware of. Okay, uh, and, and dealing with that. Um, you know, we've, we've been in a, in a situation sometimes where we've helped students purchase books, okay, uh, of that nature. Um, it, what we do and the resources that, that we provide, it could really run the gamut, okay, because almost anything and everything that, that you yourselves may know the students have gone through, okay, uh, trying to get through their, their academic career, are really and truly the kinds of things that we've dealt with and, and with, with the intersection. It may be referring someone to DRC, you know, where it's something that needs to be done immediately, okay? And so we have a very good working relationship set up with DRC to get students in to see them very quickly, or it may be also CAPS, okay? And so I, I know that, you know, what I'd like to be able to say when, when people ask me, you know, well, what kind of resources I could say, you know, oh, we provide laptops and we provide this and we provide, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I'm always hesitant to do that, right? Because what we want is for students to come to us, right? That, that's what we want for students to, 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 to do. Um, so I don't want students to say, oh, well, they can't do this or they can't provide me with this resource because sometimes we just don't know. You know, we, we have been successful in, in, in helping students get computers. We've been successful in, in helping, bottom line, helping students stay in school. That's, that's what we're there for. So if, if there was anything that I would say to a student is that, or for you to say to the student is that it doesn't matter how big you think the problem is, okay? Doesn't matter come to us and we will try to our best to figure it out. I don't know is not ever an appropriate answer if you're coming into the intersection, right? Yeah, you're not gonna have, well, you might have us say, I don't know, but that's gonna be always followed by, let me find out, okay? So no student or faculty or staff, because we help faculty and staff also, is, is left behind to, to be, you know, to use that kind of catchy phrase that we're gonna always try to do whatever it is that we can to assist the student. That doesn't mean that sometimes the answer is no, isn't no. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna say that, right? Because sometimes the only answer that you can get to somebody is no. But before we get to no, we will have, you know, um, done whatever we could, can to try to get to a yes or to a better situation. Thank you for, for explaining that more in depth. Mm -hmm. So um, I was going to ask you about, since we talked about coronavirus, 
there's also like the social injustice issue coming more to the forefront. Sure. So since um, UNLV took down the Hayrip statue, do you mind yeah. like speaking about the relevance of its removal and how it could be like more of a proactive stepping stone towards having like these conversations? Sure. You know, I think I probably said this. I've been here, what, 23 years. And, and before I even got here, the discussion about UNLV's mascot uh, has always been there. You know, sometimes it rises to, you know, uh, a you know high level and other times it's, it's right underneath the surface. And so when when the decision was to at least to remove the statue and learning that there was discussions about changing the um, the mascot from from Hey Reb, you know, mm -hmm. I, I feel like and I'm speaking personally, you know, um, from a personal standpoint, I think that that is in the right direction. Because no matter what, these symbols mean something. And simply because I may not know the relevance of a symbol to uh, somebody else, that doesn't mean that 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 symbolism isn't relevant and how that is taken. And the fact that, you know, Hey Rev, from a historical perspective, has its uh, roots in the Confederacy. And uh, certainly when we talk about the Confederacy, that has its roots. Uh, in the history of enslaved people, you know, some you're going to feel some kind of way. And and I will say that as, as an African-American woman, that that makes me feel some kind of a way, uh, particularly at the institution that that I work at. Right. And the institution that has students who I've dedicated my life to try to help. OK, so mm -hmm. it, it becomes some uh, pretty much a slippery type of a slope that you're trying to navigate. I am hopeful that uh, there uh, will be continued discussion that people do not just get in their corners and stay there. You know, you have to be willing to listen, you know, and, and to hear and to listen uh, about different perspectives. You know, I, I learned very, very long ago, you know, that I always say this, you know, you just can't lean on your own understanding. So something that may be really cool to you is very hurtful to someone else. And I think that if you at least get to that level of understanding, right, that that's, a, that's the first step. I, you know, some, some minds you won't ever change, but if you could get that person's mind to get to a level of understanding, then maybe maybe we've, we've made a good step forward. So with, um, like, I agree of like having more of an open conversation and like getting to know like others' viewpoints and like how they see it, like really important. Right. So like with that, how should we have these difficult conversations like without like causing harm to students of color or like trying to be like more open in like a classroom setting with this? Yeah, I, you know, um, I wish I had a magic wand for that to, to, give, only, me, yeah. you know, to give you the, the roadmap and the steps for that, you know, to happen. Um, because frankly, I think it's going to be a very difficult time when we go back. Right. I, I think it's going to be very, very difficult. I think that that people's feelings, regardless of which side you're on, are raw and and that uh, in many ways um, we we've set up. We automatically set up these defense mechanisms, right, in an expectation or anticipation that somebody is going to offend me or somebody is going to make me angry. And so so I think that that's a given. OK. But I also think that a lot of the onus on this 
is going to be on 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 uh, our professors and our instructors and knowing how to navigate and knowing how to help facilitate those difficult conversations, right? And I'm not sure that everybody is in that space that they're able to do that, you know. Um, of course, you know, when I'm talking about the intersection, we welcome those kinds of conversations to occur. But it's an understanding that if we're going to have that conversation, everybody that's engaged in that is going to be respectful of opinions, right? And 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 it's not just going to be something to be able to sit up on a soapbox. But I, I just know that when we get into the classroom where a lot of these conversations occur, because that is where we have, you know, we have the mixture of students and the mixture of ideals and, and ideologies, right? Um, that it's going to take, it's going to take our faculty to be able to, to actually navigate that. Because I don't think that everybody even knows how to navigate it. That's the whole thing. If we knew how to navigate it, we would do it, right? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and, I, and I think that that's really prevalent, like, you know, on social media where these conversations occur, you know, and um, it's kind of like I'm in my corner, you're in your corner, you're not agreeing with me, you stupid, you racist, you whatever it is, yeah. the, the word is, that's what you are. And I'm not willing to even take an opportunity to understand. Well, if that happens on social media, it's going to happen in the classroom. And, uh, you know, in other situations, whether we're talking about organizations and even a a as mentors. Right. I mean, you know, you could you could run across that, too. So I think that, you know, if I could, you know, if there was any skill that that I could give you even on the fly, it would just be like you got to be able to say, whoa, wait a minute, hold it. You know, at least let us agree that we will be respectful. Right. And, and, and that, you know, when necessary, you know, keep going back to that you know and then cry for help so to speak if you if you know that that's not going to work i mean you know it may be that we have to bring in you know like folks from the saltman or people from um uh uh you know people from caps or the practice or or, or any number of things to people to help navigate these feelings that folks are going to be having in the fall. And I don't think it's going to change. I think it's going to be even more exasperated because we do have an election that's coming up yeah. and um, that election is going to continue with those raw feelings, regardless of the outcome. Definitely. I mean, such powerful points you just made there. I mean, you know, we kind of just go to our default and kind of choose sides, you know, when the main solution is to sort of come together, right? And yes, I remember you mentioning something during our prep about somewhere in that nowhere, the first generation celebration can help do that, right? Um, would you mind speaking a little bit about that and, you know, telling the audience how that could help bring people together? Yeah, well, we're really excited about that first generation celebration. And I mean, you know, as I said before, you know, so many, uh, a significant number of our students are first generation. That's that's a given. But what we've also found is that a significant number of our faculty and staff are also first generation college to, uh, college grads or the first generation to work in a university setting. OK. And so what we found in, in, in moving this particular initiative forward is the willingness to have conversations based upon B 
being first generation, right? That is less of a divider than um, many other things, right? You know, right. you know, regardless of race, regardless, regardless of gender, regardless of of uh, sexual orientation. Hey, we're first generation, okay? And so I'm, I'm hoping that with with this celebration that we're planning to to kick off in, in November as part of the, the national recognition for first-generation students, that that will be a way in which the campus can come together in one common goal, right, in celebration of, of our students, faculty, and staff who are first-generation and getting um, uh, colleges involved in that. When we had that, that breakfast a few months ago, it was interesting how many deans talked about the fact that they never thought about this first generation description. Yes. And many of them were excited about that being a way in which to help bridge gaps and to, to get uh, to connect students and not only to connect students, but also be able to connect faculty and particularly teaching faculty, right? You know, and those who are are not uh, who are tenured, you know, or junior faculty, as we would say, in 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 developing programs and support systems for them. So I'm I mean, so we got a couple of things coming up, right? The first generation celebration, the intersecting connection. I mean, all of these resources are going to help bring people together. So everyone should look out for that. Um, do you can you mention other resources besides those two that maybe in the future or now that can help with? students to help process these current events, whether it's COVID or it's uh, injustice? Um, well, certainly, you know, where, where the intersections fit, sits, right, is that, that we look at things from an academic standpoint, okay? So I always say we sit on the academic side of the house. And so where we like to be able to do is to be very supportive and encouraging of the kinds of things that particularly, let's say, the Center for Social Justice is doing. Okay, uh, they are the experts in, in helping folks navigate the social justice issues. Okay, and so you know we're very supportive of that. Where we sit is not not discounting that. Okay, but also looking at okay, apart for that or in addition to that, what is it that our students need in order to be successful? And that's the first thing. And now with COVID and everything else, what are they going to need even more in order to be successful? So what we're looking at doing, and, and at least at planning, we've got this series called Woke Wednesdays. Well, Woke Wednesdays is not necessarily a social justice movement, but it was in fact a, a, a series of events that we had that we had planned to help students uh, make sense of their academics, okay? You know, like for one example, you know, what does it mean if, if you fail a course? Or more importantly, what does it mean if you don't take 15 credits a semester, you know, in order to graduate? And if you don't take 15 credits a semester, is that a bad thing for you? Or more importantly, are you unsuccessful if you don't take 15 credits a semester? I can't answer those questions, but what we do in Woke Wednesdays, right, is to help students process that and to be able to try to make some the best decisions for them as they go through this, go through the academy. Another pro program that we have is called Financial Fridays, right? 
uh, in general. It was just something that we were doing to help students learn about budgeting and so on and so forth. It, that series is going to be even more crucial when we go back because of the issues related to COVID and all of that and how those things have impacted uh, how those things have impacted our students. Another program that I'm really happy to be involved with, and there are several offices also involved with this particular program, but it's it's a program that is 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 um, designed specifically for justice impacted students. So that is students who are in one way or another involved with the justice system. You know, they may be on parole, they may, you know, it could be anything, but but you understand what I'm saying. And so uh, the, the intersection is going to be a point of contact for that developing program for students. And we're, we're still developing it because this is uncharted territory for us, but it's a, a great group of people that we're working with, not only with the university, but also with the, um, with the community and making sure that, that we, are, we are developing resources or being able to appoint students who, who are involved with the justice system in one way or another, you know, navigate because they have issues with financial aid, everything else, right? So we're looking at that. And then also, uh, we're going back to our TIPS program. That program will be ex expanded to uh, to include mentors who are foster youth, and that is going to be a program that we will be working uh, with, and um, also with uh, SLL. Okay, uh, so because they, they will have a complete program specifically for foster youth students, much like the uh, Hope Scholars program or similar to the Hope Scholars program. And we will be providing mentors for those students. And so with that, those, you know, those kinds of programs, those are the kinds of programs that we do and try to be engaged in and know about, right, so that we can um have a, a much better idea of the additional kinds of resources that we need to have in place or be able to at least point students to that need them. So it's going to be a busy semester, even if it is. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I mean, it seems like you got a program for every day of the week there, right? <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, I'm finishing up the calendar and that is true. And, and I was just thinking, I said, and we're just talking about student programs. See, we haven't even talked about faculty programs, which we have a whole set of stuff that we do right. specifically with faculty. So, yes, it's, it's, you know, the calendar is still full, but yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. Fun. That's awesome. And I, I think I recall one other program that uh, you, you mentioned. It was at Tuesday Talks uh, last time we spoke. Yes. The, yes. Uh -huh. The Tuesday Talks is part of the Intersecting Connections program. Yes, that's right. Okay. So we have the Tuesday Talks and then there is another program that, that comes under that umbrella, which is um, come, happens on Thursdays at one o'clock. Can't remember the exact name for that, but that... <laughs> That's that that comes under the the uh, the intersecting connections umbrella. Yes. And it still still foundational with men, mental health and helping helping students cope with all of this craziness that we're seeing. Thank you for giving us those resources that we can find on campus. We'll be sure to like link them and put them in our show notes so everyone can have access to them. So for every guest we have, we ask them what they believe makes them a groundbreaker. So I was wondering if you can can give it, like 
we were thinking we're like she is definitely a groundbreaker like with everything she's doing but we want to know what you personally believe when i was working on on my doctorate i had a professor who had a very profound impact on me and he always would say remember to leave the pile higher than you found it and um I've taken that mantra on, okay? I've taken that challenge on. Um, it is it is a go-to for me because I would not be here if someone did not help me, okay? That's a whole other story uh, <laughs> in my life backdrop, but, but I certainly would not be here if there was not someone or someone who uh, helped me along the way. And so I believe that it is important for me to give back and to leave it, leave the pile higher for those who are coming behind me, you know? And so that that's my motto. And so if I'm this groundbreaker, it, it, it's because of that, but I only do what I'm supposed to do. Right. I mean, I just feel like that, that these are things that I am supposed to do love that and we thank you for your time such a powerful episode i believe and i think the students and our listeners will get a lot out of this episode um i think we've surpassed our time but we'd like to ask you if you could provide us some information where people can connect with you um, online um my email address is harriet.barlow at unlv.edu okay uh, we're located when we ever get back to physical <laughs> locations. The intersection is located in room 121 in the student union on the first floor. Um, my, our telephone numbers are uh, 702-895-0459. Uh, I always answer emails. Uh, so anybody wants to email me to do so. Uh, connect with us on, on social media, intersection social medias. But uh, yeah, anytime, if you need me, you know, drop me an email, send me, you know, uh, give me a call. We'll be there. All right. I think we've taken enough of your time and we thank you for oh. everything you have done and continue to do for our school. Um, is there any questions that you'd like to ask us or would you like to message you want to send out to our listeners? Well, I would just like to say in closing, thank you very, very much for this opportunity. You know, as I said to you before, you know, I could talk about the intersection forever and a day, <laughs> right? You know, because uh, talking about it and listening to students and listening to people is how we, we make sure that we're doing what we need to be doing. And so I really and truly appreciate this. And, and we want to be able to make sure that we're being impactful. So I truly appreciate uh, you giving me the opportunity to talk with you. I've enjoyed having a chance to meet you. I mean, it's just been a wonderful thing. And this is the reason why being at UNLV is so special because you get a chance to meet very special students who are also leaving the pile higher than they found it. So I appreciate you and thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much. Thank for, you for so much. And us. Yeah. You are very welcome anytime. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day and uh, stay safe. Stay yeah. healthy. Oh, thank you. You do the same. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you again, Dr. Barlow, for doing this podcast with us.
He provides us with so much information that can be helpful for the students here at UNLV, such as the intersecting connections, Tuesday talks, and how there's also resources for staff on campus as well. So thank you again for providing us with these resources. We'll be sure to link them down below. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was such a powerful episode. You definitely have to listen to that like twice or three times. Um, you know, a lot of those resources are coming up, not established yet. So be on the lookout. Like Steph said, we will provide you with all the links. So check out our show notes and follow us on social media. And as always, we are Groundbreakers. Paving new ground and making our mark. Oh, 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 oh,